entering the Freedom Hut. It's Comrade Bernie versus Comrade Warren in the Democratic primary. There's a debate tonight. We'll talk about how that's going to play out. Is Bernie the front runner? And can Warren actually just cancel student loans if she were to win this whole thing? Plus, Iranian, Iranian journalists quit over lying to their countrymen. Trump's trying to build the wall. Mass extinction threatened by the media. And Jessica Beale's anti-vax. That's coming up. This, this is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission, or mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. One Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Man, we have a debate coming up tonight that I feel like about five of you listening are probably going to watch because only about 15 people across the country really seem to care. Uh, I'm just kidding. Democrats, of course, care. They'll be watching this thing. And there's one there's one storyline that's getting the attention. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. Uh, They had been very chummy with each other. They had been very friendly with each other in this uh, contest to see who will be the Democrat, the Democrat winner uh, of the primary until now. And that's because, what, the Iowa caucuses are just a few weeks away. And this field of Democrats is going to get winnowed down very quickly. You're going to have a fight over who is the most progressive candidate that plays out, who is the true heir to the Democrat socialist throne in this country is it Elizabeth Warner is it Bernie Sanders and that's how you have a particularly nasty little fight going on right now between these two the basics of it are that uh, there's a story that was run in a bunch of different news outlets Uh, CNN picked it up and others that Elizabeth Warren claims that Bernie Sanders told her in, a, in 2018, that a woman, a woman couldn't win the presidency, which, of course, is in a field where wokeness is your currency, where being the most woke candidate is considered among the very most important things. Sure enough, we find out that Bernie may have a wokeness issue. Never mind for a moment that the Oscars will have, it seems, a greater diversity on stage of directors who will win nominations, then there will be diversity of the Democrat candidates who are at the top of the field in this primary. In fact, you'd have to think long and hard, who is still in it that would even qualify under the Democrat uh, the Democrat definition of diversity? Buttigieg is a member of the LGBTQ community, okay. Who else is still in the mix? Who else is still in this race? Um, Elizabeth Warren, as we know, is a fake minority, but I don't think that's something they're going to be touting all that much as diversity for this Democrat field. But I had to I had to laugh because, you know, Warren uh, is she is upset because of what Bernie campaign people had been going around and saying about her. She's upset because she says that there were unfair attacks leveling. And now, whether that's true or not, I don't really know. I will say this. It's fun to watch. Democrats fight in this way. It is entertaining. There is no question about that. Uh, But this non-aggression pact that had been 
in existence between Bernie and Warren has gone away. It'll be the single most interesting thing to uh, play out tonight. I wonder if, and I don't, I don't even know who's moderating. Producer Mark, do we know who's moderating the debate tonight? Which which left-wing network that pretends to be it's, uh, CNN, Mr. Blitzer will be. Oh, CNN, my favorite. My favorite. Uh, <laughs> CNN is, I, I don't, you know, I don't know what they're going to do here because CNN was completely, and I was there, I was in the building, I was hearing all the discussions, talking to producers. They were completely in the tank for Hillary Clinton. There's no there's no question about that. They were absolutely positively doing everything they could to make sure that Hillary Clinton was going to be the next uh, the next no, well the Democrat nominee and then of course the president beyond that. And so they're not really it's not really a Bernie building. Um, it's not really a place that you could look to and say there's a lot of fondness for the outright socialism of Bernie Sanders as opposed, as opposed to the, the soft and incremental socialism of, say, Hillary Clinton. Uh, do they feel now at CNN like they have amends to make for this, that their unwillingness to go forth and and give a, a fair shot to Bernie Sanders, the to Comrade Sanders, the Democrat socialist from the state of Vermont, Maybe now they make amends. I think the answer is no. Warren is just culturally more in line with the Democrat elites. They look at her, she's a Harvard professor. Yeah, Bernie Sanders has been a senator for God knows how long. But they look at Warren and she seems to the libs to be a bit more sophisticated, perhaps. She just appears that way. She comes across that way. as a little bit less of a character. And journalists who spend a lot of time thinking about how they look and how they sound and how they are perceived, this really matters to them. So I think that there's still going to be a, a bit of favoritism against Sanders in favor of Warren from certainly from within the CNN building. And tonight in the debate, we'll have to see how it plays out. I don't know if I'm going to watch it tonight. I, I, I have a life, too. You know, I, I don't know how much. And maybe I'll just I'll sign producer Mark to watch this one for us and take notes. That'll be because he loves that. After he finishes his third job, by the way, where he's you know been working for 15 straight hours, producer Mark, aren't you? Aren't there like wage laws that are being violated here by having you work like four days straight at a time? Isn't this an issue? Um, I plead the fifth. Okay, I'm just making sure. You know, heaven forbid the you know New York Labor Relations Board finds out that this guy hasn't been able to get more than an hour of sleep in like a month, whatever. You were on vacation for a bit though, so I can't. I, mean, feel I only that. worked a week in December. Yeah. So These are all things that our bosses should but not he, be but he, but he cross, he, he'll, he'll cross the, the 100 hours threshold in a week, no, no problem. So anyway, I need my, I need my nap time. Uh, but here's what I want to say about tonight's debate. I think that there will be not a lot that's memorable because we already know what these Democrats are going to say. They're just going to fight it out now. The factionalism of the Democrats is going to come to the forefront. You're going to see people who have been playing nice with each other all of a sudden when there's the realistic possibility of knocking somebody off, you know, when you can vote somebody off the island, when only certain people are getting a rose, can neither confirm nor deny that I watched The Bachelor for the first time ever recently. I just was curious. It's a cultural phenomenon. And I thought I, thought I needed to watch it because, you know, hashtag culture. Um, but the the war between Comrade Warren and Comrade Sanders tonight will be the single most interesting thing, assuming that it actually breaks out. Uh, Warren's campaign, th there were initially 
questions about whether Bernie really had said he didn't think a woman could win, which, I, you know, I mean, I, I guess for Democrats, this is, oh, you know, this is a horrible thing to say. How, how could he say something so horrible? I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not sure that Republicans would really get as upset about somebody expressing an opinion. I mean, it's not a not an opinion that people generally want to hear, but it could, you know, it could be true. It, it, it could be true that it's more difficult for a certain a person from a certain demographic, a certain group to win the presidency based on polls, based on data. I mean, you can look at this, right? Would it, you know, is an atheist likely to win the presidency? People might want to believe that that shouldn't matter or maybe believe it matters a whole lot, but there's certainly data that would back that up one way or the other. Is it harder for a woman to win the presidency? I would think no, but I'd have to look at the most recent data and see. And and even then, there's what people will tell pollsters and there's what the reality is. But, you know, adults could have this kind of conversation. But Democrats are not adults. Democrats like to uh, fling things at each other and get into fights and decide who the most woke is, which has really just become a, it's an excellent shorthand for the social justice obsession and the political correctness obsession that has completely overtaken the uh, American left and the Democratic Party. But I, I thought this was great. There is a a technique in and there are a couple of ways to say it. So you don't have to. But the, but the one that I like, I believe it's it's called preterizio, where you say, I, I'm not going to point out, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that my opponent hasn't read a book in 10 years because that wouldn't be a nice thing. Right, that's preterizio, the, the, the pretense that you're not going to say something that you are saying, uh, the, the, the underhanded way of, of attacking somebody. Bernie Sanders apparently said this to Elizabeth Warren, and, and here's the back and forth between Comrade Sanders and Comrade Warren. Or rather, here is how Comrade Warren says this actually went down. This is a statement that she put out because she loves Bernie so much. Quote, Bernie and I met for more than two hours in December 2018 to discuss the 2020 election, our past working together on our shared goals, beating Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Among the topics that came up was what would happen if Democrats nominated a female candidate. I thought a woman could win. He disagreed. I have no interest in discussing this private meeting any further because Bernie and I have far more in common than our differences on punditry. I'm in this race to talk about what's broken in this country and how to fix it, blah, 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 blah. I have no interest in further elaborating on this meeting now that I've elaborated on the single most incendiary charge. <laughs> I'm not even sure this qualifies as preterizio, but it feels kind of close. It's like she said it and then she's pretending like she hasn't said it. Or, or you know, she, she's saying, I don't want to elaborate, but I've already elaborated in a way that is going to do the maximum political damage to my opponent. You know, don't mess, don't mess with Warren, man. You come at the Elizabeth Warren, you, be, you best not miss Bernie. So we'll see. Uh, how, how much of a difference is there really is there really between them? I, I would wonder if you could actually set up Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders supporters. And we will get into some of Bernie's supporters in a moment. I wonder if you set them up side by side and ask them to identify differences on policy between these two. How many could actually tell you in any in any significant way what their differences are? I would I would guess the answer, and I would love to run this experiment, although I don't think a lot of Bernie and Warren supporters will talk to me. I would love to run this experiment uh, because I would guess the number is very, very small. In fact, I think if you asked most political pundits, what is the difference really as a matter of policy 
between Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, what you would hear is, well, you know, Warren's like a little more wonky or something, a little more academic. They'd have some very vague, generalized way of separating out these two candidates. Here's the single most important takeaway, my friends. You have right now a Democratic Party that is that in which there are really only two options. The old school uh, Democrat head fake Clinton Biden apparatus where they you know, pretend to be centrists and technocrats when really they're just corrupt, self-dealing, go whichever way the wind blows, appease the left wing mob leftists. Right. I mean, that, that's you've got that option, the, the, the politics as usual, the Democratic Party, or you have the movement far into socialism that Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren and even Pete Buttigieg represent. This is the modern Democratic Party. It has now transitioned into a ready to go turnkey socialist party. It's just a question of how the chips fall in the next few months. That's where we are, and that's what you should remember as we see these squabbles playing out about how everyone cares so much about the middle class and the rich are just the bad people. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Here's the thing about revolutionaries. Um, When they come from the left, there's... A pretty standard template. They create a lot of anger at what they view as the ruling class, the excesses of that ruling class, the elites, the rich, the aristocrats, the oligarchy, to borrow from Bernie Sanders. It's one of his favorite words. And the way he, you know, you really know it's Bernie Sanders because the oligarchs are doing what they do. Um, I do think my Bernie Sanders sounds a bit too much like Yogi Bear, but. It, it's close enough. It's close enough that you certainly know that's Bernie Sanders. I did watch a lot of that cartoon back in the day. But revolutionaries come in promising that they will get rid of this oppression and that they will give nothing but but benefits, sweetness, honey, and light to those who are part of the oppressed classes, the working class. In this country, we act like the middle class is an oppressed class, which I think is, if you were to look at that on historic or global standards, is, is flatly and obviously ridiculous. But nonetheless, it seems to work for some of these politicians. But you have to also remember that there's always an element when you're talking about people like Bernie Sanders who are calling for political revolution. uh, There's an element of extremism that can become infused into what they're really into the real ethos of the movement. There can be true believers who hide their real intentions and hide their real their real feelings about what's going on in the country in order to get enough support that they can then ram their plans down the throats of everybody else in the country. Right? So this, this is what I meant before a little bit about the uh, head fake from the old Democrat Party. I mean, the old Democrats, meaning the Clinton, Biden, you know, Schumer, Pelosi uh, squad, that group tries to present themselves as just more care, a more caring version of the generally capitalist, free market, and uh, constitutionally-minded Republican Party, right? Just a, a better, uh, more, you know, more, more caring about the oppressed, more caring about the poor, and, and better at governance. Although, as we see from California to New York to every other major blue enclave, 
it's the policies that Democrats fight with Republicans on that are so clearly the worst policies. You know, it's it's the ones that we look at and we say, hold on a second. Why wouldn't you arrest people for shoplifting, for example, which we'll talk about later? Democrats view that as a tool of oppression. Uh, if there are any racial disparities in arrest rates in a city, that's clearly evidence of racism. I mean, there, the, the areas where you have arguments between left and right in how to govern a city or how to govern a state, this is where we tend to say, OK, look at how it works when we do it our way. Look at how it works when you do it your way. But that's the old approach of the Democrats. Now you have Bernie Sanders. You have this revolutionary I was going to say revolutionary guard, but that's giving everyone a bit of an Iran tingle, I think. Uh, a revolutionary group inside the Democratic Party that just wants to be more open and honest about this. And you have to think, who are really the supporters of this group? Who are the people that are going to be influencing the thought processes of those in power? What is the Bernie base really like? Well, I can tell you as someone that operates in the realm of media commentary on a regular basis, Bernie bros, I mean the Bernie true believers, are among the worst people you will come across on the internet or anywhere else. They are horrifically nasty, often threatening, just incredibly, fiercely, insanely defensive of Bernie Sanders. Now, I understand that they would turn around and say, well, we'll look at Trump supporters, but of course, I like Trump supporters, so I don't, I don't, you know, and I, I understand that I come at this from a certain perspective. And I know plenty of Trump supporters who are super nice. Every Bernie Sanders supporter that I deal with uh, or that I come across is either spewing just complete and utter nonsense about how socialism is going to be this cure-all for all of the inequality in society, or they're rabid partisans who are really kind of scary. Um, it's not so much that they want to fix the problems in this country. They want payback against those who have made the problems in this country. And that includes Trump supporters. That includes those who have done well, people who are self-made, who have become well-off, who are, who are uh, as Bernie Sanders calls it, the, the millionaires and the billionaires. Those people need to be punished. It's not just that they need to be, their, their so-called greed needs to be uh, constrained and government regulation needs to relieve them of their wealth. They need to be punished. They might even need to be ideologically cleansed. They need to be re-educated in some way. I'll take you to this Project Veritas situation in a second. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcast, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Looks like James O'Keefe has uh, done it again. Oops, he did it again. He played with the libs, got lost in the, I don't know, how does the rest of it? You, you were younger than, oh, you actually were too young for Britney Spears. You don't even remember. Of course I know Britney Spears. No, it's, but like you weren't, you were like an, you were like an amoeba when Britney Spears uh, was actually breaking onto the scene. What was she, like 98 to like yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I was in, when I was in high school, Britney Spears was it, man. Yeah. So shouldn't you be able to know it's, oops, I did it again, I played with my heart, and, and I lost it again? I lost it again. Yeah, oh. yeah, Okay. Not singing it, I'm not you. But. Right, of course, you would not do that. Um, but yes, indeed, there is a, uh, there's a new Project Veritas video that is uh, that is circulating it's making the rounds uh the truth about 2020 what we should have james has done 
Here we go. Oh, sorry. Expose. Pardon me. Expose2020.com from James O'Keefe. O'Keefe. Um, and this is going to be particularly interesting to people because there's there's a real Bernie Sanders moment right now. I mean, the Democratic Party is in the process, as I sit here talking to you, of deciding whether or not they are a socialist party. They can call themselves other things. It doesn't matter. They will be a party for socialism. Elizabeth Warren is running around talking about how it's just a matter of executive decision she would forgive student loans. I mean, this is just the president. At that point, the president of the United States could just walk around with a blank checkbook and say, hey, I like you. Here's a billion dollars from the Treasury because I like your smile, kid. Good luck. This is this is absurd. But that's what she's we'll, we'll get into that a bit more later on. But the choice of whether or not we go down this road to socialism which, if you want to borrow from Hayek, is also a road to serfdom for all of us, in a sense. It's a road to government control, to bureaucrats having a much greater say over your life, over your day-to-day affairs than they ever should. This will have ramifications that could stretch for who knows how long in this country, but also around the world, too. Other places have looked at us, have mirrored our economic approach, have seen how much wealth and prosperity has been created by the American people for the American people and say, you know, maybe we should get in on that. You know, we've run this experiment many times. You know, do you want to be South Korea or do you want to be Venezuela? Do you want to be Hong Kong? Do you want to be Singapore or do you want to be North Korea? Free market, individual ingenuity rewarded, rule of law, private property, freedom, liberty, things that are good. That we like. Do you want those things or do you want people that think they know better than you making the determinations for you about what you should do, what you should have and how and where you should be able to uh, spend your time and your money? This is that these are very important questions for society. These are these are not little differences. This is not a, you know, a, a Coke versus Pepsi. And I was people always tell me they can. I've, I was never able to tell the difference. So maybe I have a a weak palate or something. It's always been the same to me. But this is not a Coke versus Pepsi decision in this election at all. This is a socialism versus freedom decision. And you have people that understand also uh, what the real difference in trajectory would be. People are beginning to see this, I think, because you have true believers on the Bernie Sanders side who are running around and letting everyone know they're kind of they're going off off script because Bernie Sanders is supposed to be like the cuddly, you know, socialist who just eats Ben and Jerry's, lives up in Vermont, hangs out, just wants to give you free health care, man. Remember this. What socialists don't tell you is all the amazing goodies that they're promising. Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, Buttigieg, all of them. What they won't tell you is that that all comes through government coercion, that if you don't want to do these things, you have no choice. If you don't want the government deciding what doctor you can see when you can see that doctor. If you don't want the government telling you how much of your money you can keep, how much money is going to go to other people, that should be yours. That, that is the result of, remember, people make money often based on their time, not necessarily because they're all hourly employees, well, that's certainly a part of it too, but you put your time into an endeavor and then you're rewarded for that. So when they're taking money from you, I mean, they're taking hours, they're taking time from your life and giving it to other people. There is a rot at the center of this redistributive approach to governance, and it needs to be identified now. We should all be very, very clear on this. 
The Bernie bros, who, as I said, are and, and even Democrats will often complain about them for being for. I mean, first of all, these, these people are delusional. What? I'm sorry. Bernie Sanders. Does anyone really think Bernie Sanders knows how to run anything? Does anyone think Bernie Sanders would be good at running a business that Bernie Sanders understands what really hard work is? Why? Because he has been representing an almost, you know, a, a state that is a Democrat state with very little diversity, where he just gets to run around and promising, you know, the sun, the moon and the stars to everybody, gives speeches, goes to the Senate. What legislation has he authored? What has he done that's important? The guy was an independent coxing with Democrats for how long? He wants to lecture you all on hard work. I, I love this. Um, Ricky Gervais, who had his his phenomenal, and we led the show with it, what was it, a week ago, had his phenomenal opening speech at the Golden Globes because it was it was funny and it was true. And watching the hangers-on, the toadies of the entertainment media try to do what they could to protect the delicate feelings of people who are really lucky. I mean, if you're sitting in that audience at the Golden Globes... And you're somebody who's either being honored or just invited to this thing, and you work in the entertainment industry, you're really lucky. And you should be thankful and grateful and humbled by your good fortune instead of thinking that it confers some extra special intelligence upon you as an actor or an actress to tell everyone else how to do their how to how to live their lives. Ricky Gervais is like, look, I used to be poor and it was terrible. And now because of a lot of people that like what I do, I've become very, very rich and my life is super comfortable and easy now. And I know that. So I don't tell other people what to do. I don't lecture them and I don't hector them because I know it's tough for them. It's not tough for me. Thank you to those people for not making it tough for me anymore. Right? This is a, this is what we all instinctually know is is true this is something that we all recognize as being the reality of having been been in the struggle and having been in a better place financially and economically and so bernie sanders going around always talking about the middle class and you know bernie sanders has been had great health care and uh, paid for by the taxpayer i mean the federal federal government the senate has incredible health care and has been living on a really nice salary and doesn't really have to you know doesn't really have to sweat it that much, folks. It hasn't been that bad for Bernie. But he wants to tell you all that. And by the way, he's got three houses. I mean, this is the other part. He's a socialist with three houses. Why does he need three houses? He asks billionaires why they need billions. Why does Bernie Sanders need three? Really only needs one house. All right? If you're going to take the socialists at their word, if you're going to believe the rhetoric, why does he get away then with living, living large and in charge? I, I just wouldn't want someone. To, and why is Elizabeth Warren worth, I think they estimate, 6 to $12 million, her and her husband? That's a lot of money. It's a lot more money than I have. Uh, I would like to get to a million. Producer Mark and I both have the same goal. We would like to get to a million. That sounds like fun. Um, but Elizabeth Warren is also going around playing the, oh, I care so much about the middle class and the struggle that people are in and everything else. She's had more of a build, you know, she's had a more interesting resume building experience than Bernie Sanders, of course, helped in no small part by being a fake Native American. Uh, But they they're playing this game of trying to present themselves as caring so much. Meanwhile, to bring us back to Project Veritas and James O'Keefe and the Bernie bros. This is again, this is exposed 2020.com. James O'Keefe's project at Project Veritas. Uh, this is a, a Bernie organizer who's talking about how he feels about what's going on here. And I think we've got it all bleeped and whatnot, but be prepared for that. Play it. 16. So if Trump gets reelected, what? 
cities burn. You didn't think that some of these, like, mega people could even be re-educated? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we gotta try. I mean, like, so, like, in Nazi Germany, after the fall of the Nazi party, there was a ton of the populace that was Nazified. I mean, like, Germany had to spend billions of dollars re-educating people to not be Nazis. We're probably going to have to do the same thing here. And that's kind of what Bernie's like, well, hey, free education for everybody. We're going to have to teach you not to be a Nazi. Now, they're going to say what they always will in this circumstance, which is that this Bernie Sanders field organizer is not representative of broader sentiment among Bernie supporters. But let's ask ourselves the question, is that really the case? Do you think that there are a lot of Bernie supporters, people that want Bernie Sanders to be the next president of the United States, who believe the things that Bernie Sanders himself says about Donald Trump? That Donald Trump is a massive national security threat, that he's an authoritarian, that he's a traitor, that he's a Russian stooge, that he's a Russian asset. I think a lot of them do believe that. And this is where I start to sound a little bit more ominous, perhaps, than, than I usually do. But I'm willing to take crazy people at their word. I, I think that true believers should be listened to when they're telling you what they really think. You should say, hold on a second. Maybe it's worth taking some notes here. They have been claiming for years that Donald Trump was a threat to the most sacred institutions of our republic. And this isn't I, I don't think any anyone would deny that that has been going on. They'll say Donald Trump is a white nationalist. They'll say that he is a racist. They'll say that he is a, a national security threat, that he could have war break out with North Korea or with Iran at any moment. They say all of these things. And let's not forget. And I, and I, I don't want to I don't want to unfairly paint the entire Bernie uh, supporter because I have some friends who are Bernie supporters, actually, and I like them. There, there are very nice people who support Bernie Sanders. I'm not a, I'm, I'm not a crazy person. But there's also this faction within Bernie bro world that is nuts. And they're some of the most ardent Bernie believers. And it should not just pass unnoticed or unmentioned that, you know, while we're while we had the media lecturing us all the time about Trump, you know, saying throw that bum out of here or whatever at the at the different rallies he's had and how Trump was inspiring violence. I heard that. I, I, I remember that story so many times during the uh, general election in 2016 at, at CNN. I was on TV having to talk about this. I was like, guys, you know, he, he uses tough talk. He's not actually inspiring violence. It was a Bernie Sanders supporter, very clearly, openly, avowedly, who, for reasons of health care defense, tried a mass assassination of specifically conservative members of Congress, notably wounding and almost killing Steve Scalise, trying to kill Senator Rand Paul, among many others, at that baseball field in Alexandria, Virginia. Uh, Virginia. It was a an attempted mass assassination of members of Congress from a Bernie Sanders supporter. Now, I'm not saying that Bernie Sanders supporters are all like this. Of course, that's stupid and that's a straw man argument. But there are people who are Bernie supporters in positions of of actual influence who really do think that Trump supporters perhaps need re-education of some kind, who really think that they're all just stealth white nationalists, uh, a danger to this country in ways that we have to deal with. I mean, I can promise you, and I generally also have a have an issue 
with the hidden camera stuff, when it's low-level people who are blowing off some steam, who work at CNN, I don't... When James O'Keefe, you know, hits a home run, I'm the first to say, great work, James. I think some of the stuff, for example, at CNN, you know, if someone asked me about any company that I'd worked for after hours, I think that I'm having a, a drink with a peer and I start mouthing off about things there. I, I think it's... I, I question the wisdom of airing that stuff uh, as a journal. Because it doesn't... Because they can always just deny that and say, oh, well, that's someone, the, the higher-ups say that's just some disgruntled employee who doesn't know anything, doesn't mean anything. You know, you've got, if you get someone high up and off the food chain, I think that matters. In this case, though, if you've been exposed to Bernie bros, you know that there are a lot of them who really think that, that when Bernie Sanders talks about a political revolution in this country, he, he means it. And that there will not be any sit down and compromise and halfway with, say, Trump supporters. There will not be any effort to try to reach some consensus position about what will be good governance benefiting the most people or good governance rooted in principle, which is going to be an even trickier thing. It's one it's one thing to try and be in a position to negotiate with your political opponents and find a little a little what you like and a little what they like. It's a whole nother one when you're saying, no, no, it's just about what's right and try to convince them of that. In the realm of individual rights, collectivists are always going to give you tremendous pushback, and, and they will reject arguments that, what, that, that are rooted in individual rights, individual private property, and they'll always come at you with the collective good. So Bernie Sanders should not be underestimated as a political force, not just in terms of his ability to win the Democratic nomination, which I think must be taken seriously. If he is able to knock Elizabeth Warren out of serious contention, and all of a sudden the pressure rises on Warren to get out. Bernie Sanders picks up Warren supporters. He's a frontrunner, folks. This guy's the frontrunner for the Democrats. Someone that I, and I really mean this, I would not trust Bernie Sanders to, to run my 10-year-old neighbor's lemonade stand. I mean, this is not someone you want in charge of anything. But if you point that out, the Bernie bros are going to come for you. And as you can hear from Mr. Oh, we're going to put the Trump people in re-education camps. The Bernie bros are crazy. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. I got something for you guys. It looks like Cardi B is learning the value of limited taxation. <laughs> Bruce or Mark, would you please? This is Cardi B on taxes. So, you know, the government is taking 40% of my taxes. And Uncle Sam, I want to know what you're doing with my f- tax money. Because you know what I'm saying? Like, when you donate, like, when you donate to a kid from a foreign country, they give you updates of what they're doing with your donation. I want to know what you're doing with my f- tax money because I'm from New York and the streets is always dirty. We was voted the dirtiest city in America. I mean, she's wrong about New York as the dirtiest city in America, but... She is right that it would be nice to have a better sense of where all of our tax money is going. So, and it also does, it does kind of hurt. You get 40% of your money getting taken away by the federal government, close to it. I guess I think the top tax rate is 37% now in federal, federal income. It, might be, it was 39, if memory serves. But Cardi B all of a sudden is like, I want to keep my money. What is the government doing with all my money? Um, now, she's not an astute political observer, but I do like when people learn the lessons of real life. Guess what? If Bernie Sanders wins the presidency, Cardi, he's going to take a lot more of your money than 40%. Try more like 60, maybe 70. 
That's what you're going to be paying as a top rate if Bernie Sanders gets his way and Congress goes along with it. Or maybe they just go executive order route. Something else we've got to look at. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now some of you might say, Buck, they can't really go socialist, even if Warren or Sanders or Buttigieg or whomever. AOC, if she were old enough to run for president, which she would be not for quite some time, or even for Senate, I think, for a little while. Um, Whoever it may be. In this current political environment, it would be either Warren or Sanders, but you have this understanding. We all have this understanding of how the system works. You'd say, but Buck, no, no, no. Look at the things that Obama wanted to do. There was really a a, a three-legged stool of socialism. One leg was health care. They got that one without a single Republican vote, although they couldn't go all the way on it. But they set it up. It was a major incremental step to create further momentum into socialism. They did do that with Obamacare. That's why we're now already talking about Medicare for all. That's why we're talking about these more all-in government socialist health care programs. They wanted to do environmentalism, green energy stuff, climate change hysteria. But they knew that that would come with a price tag that many of the Democrats at that point did not want to pay, Uh, not just a price tag that consumers don't necessarily want to pay and that politicians don't want to pay at the polls. So that was a problem. Um, And and then uh, then there was also. Immigration, right, there was immigration, there were these areas where the Obama presidency was trying to, and that was get an amnesty going, get an amnesty, turn the whole, the whole country that has the California effect. You have all these new illegals that are then uh, either raising people who are go- likely to be Democrats growing up in Democrat households because of, we all know that people who are recent immigrants to, the, immigrants to the country are more likely to vote Democrat and people who are illegals, obviously, or people that are related to illegals are more likely to want to support Democratic causes or to vote Democrat. So that was another part of it. And they almost got that through with Republican help. Okay, fine. Didn't happen, though, because Republican voters said, hold on a second. This is just amnesty. You can call it comprehensive immigration reform. It's just amnesty, though, and we all know that. All right. Now, all along, though, there's this trend. The Democrats, the Democrat socialists want something and they can't really get it because of the political realities of the Congress, the legislative branch, and people in Congress who want to keep their jobs, want to keep their positions, their seats. So that means that there is a slowdown. That means that there is some bulwark, which a word that has been ruined by the crappiest pseudo-conservative publication in in the entirety of the Internet. Uh, But there there is supposed to be a, a break, a speed bump, if you will. There we go. Replace that with uh, replace bulwark with speed bump um, to prevent Democrats from just going all in on on socialist plans. Well, here's the issue with that. What happens when Democrats decide that the president is just going to do it? Ah, you'll recall that Obama, through the EPA, through regulation, was pushing for socialist green policies. Right. Redistribution of wealth from the energy sector to 
to green energy projects and activist groups and all that. I mean, this is there were ways that they try to use the executive branch to do exactly that. Obama took it even a step further. And when there was deferred action for childhood arrivals, DACA, right, the Dreamers, oh, I'm, I'm not going to we're not going to prosecute them for any for for illegal presence in the country, which is the law is that they can't be in the country legally. And then it was, oh, we're also not going to prosecute their parents. And oh, by the way, we're going to give them work permits and bring them into the system without any act of Congress whatsoever. And that was stopped, I believe, by the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. And they had to actually stop, put out an injunction because the Department of Homeland Security under Obama wanted to just give out these ID cards to illegals under the DAPA program, Deferred Action for the Parents of Childhood Arrivals. And at that point, they would have been so close to legal status that everyone knows that they would have had to have been. The idea was to get them as enmeshed in the system as possible, so then they would have to be part of a larger deal. And all of a sudden, deferred action for childhood arrivals turns into five or six million people getting amnesty. And and getting amnesty largely through executive fiat. Now, why why am I all wrapped up in this now? Because we've seen this play out in the past. Uh, We've seen how this is, the, the Congress is not going to save you from socialism is what I really want you to take from this. Don't think that because Cocaine Mitch is putting judge after judge, great judges, Trump has gotten better judges in the Supreme Court all the way down to the circuit courts across the country than any president in my lifetime. So credit where it's due. And Mitch McConnell is just a lean, mean judge confirmation machine in the Senate. But what we're hearing now from candidates like Warren and Sanders is something you must keep in mind. When I talk to you about how they want to implement some socialist scheme, you probably would think, well, hold on, Buck, do they do they have the votes? Do they have what they have with Obamacare, a filibuster proof 60 seat majority in the Senate, as well as a House majority? And can they get it? Excuse me. Can they get it through the uh, procedures for the Congress such as they are? Well, what if the president, what if a socialist president Sanders, what if Comrade Sanders or Comrade Warren just comes along and says, no, we're just going to do this thing. This isn't really all that theoretical because that's exactly what Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are promising to do on the issue of student loan debt. There is uh, over $1 trillion of outstanding student loan debt out there. Elizabeth Warren's idea, as she's just said this now, is for people making less than $100,000 a year, up to $50,000 of student loan debt would just be wiped away. Would just be wiped away. Okay. That's interesting. How would that happen? She'll just tell the education secretary to, quote, modify their loans. This is vi- this is just by waving one's hand as president over all of these contracts, all these financial obligations that people willingly entered into. Um it would just all of a sudden be money that is no longer owed. You see also the Obama administration, by taking private sector lenders out of the student loan business, yes, there was a, an efficiency savings there, but it also meant that guess what? You know, who the, you know who the lender is now for people that want to take out you know, 20, 30, 50, $100,000 of student loans? You know who the lender is? You. You are the lender. They say it's the federal government, but the federal government isn't the lender. You are the lender. 
It is your labor that funds the federal government. It is your labor that the federal government takes a piece of, under threat of force, by the way, and redistributes it for a whole slew of government programs, some of which we think are reasonable and necessary, most of which are not. It's your money. Government doesn't have money. The government can only, the only reason the government's creation or printing of money has any value is because of the value that we, the American people, put into that by our labor. Otherwise, you know, I mean, the government of any country could come along and just, and governments have done this. We've seen this experiment played out. I mean, try to Try to see how how much you can buy with a trillion uh, Zimbabwean. I forget what the what the currency is in Zimbabwe, but you know a trillion Zimbabwean whatever it is uh, over there. It's not going to get you very much. Um, we have seen this experiment play out, and it has predictable results. Elizabeth Warren is effectively trying to socialize the debts that people have run up, overwhelmingly people who are middle to upper middle class to go to colleges that they paid. You know, they could have gone to community college, which is effectively free for most people in most places. They wanted to go to a state school or maybe a private school. They took out loans. I also have to wonder if Democrats ever think about the implications of these things that feel good for them to say and that will get additional support for them. Uh, But if you are someone who just finished paying off your student loans after 20 or 30 years of sending in that check every month, and I'm sure it was painful and it was, it was annoying. I sit here right now with producer Mark uh, doing a radio show and not sitting in some you know cubicle working for some financial firm or something, largely because I didn't want to go to business school and incur a couple hundred thousand dollars of debt. Just didn't want to do it. I also love doing media, but I didn't know if I'd be any good at it before I did it, but I, I figured, heck, you know, YOLO, roll the dice didn't want to take out loans. But if I had thought that I could take out 200 grand in loans and have, well, that's a lot of loans, but that's what, a, that's what going to the business schools that I was, by the time you actually pay them off, that's what it is if you're taking out the whole, because it's about 60,000 in tuition, 20,000 living expenses. Then when you add interest over the life of the loan cycle, it's about 200 grand. That's what you're paying off. But if I thought I could go and even get $50,000 of that just wiped away, that would be nice. That's that's a pretty that's a pretty sweet deal, isn't it? But then you have to ask, well, what about the people that have paid off their loans after 20 or 30 years? Don't they feel like there's some there is something inherently unfair? Of course there is. Why or why do some people get the benefit of this timing and others don't just because Elizabeth Warren needs votes? And then think of some of the other downstream implications of this. Why would a college give out any financial aid anymore? Why would, you know, University of whatever, University of left-wing absurdity, give people a 10, a 15, perhaps even a full-ride scholarship to go to their school when they know that, oh, just take out the loans and just, you know, just let those loans ride a while and eventually we'll have another Democrat will come into office and just wipe it all away. You you don't don't have to really pay it down. Just pay the interest on the loans. Don't pay it on the principal and you can just, eventually it'll, it'll all be wiped away for you. There's been a huge transfer of wealth, by the way, from the American people to these bloated, ridiculous universities across the country. I mean, these, these places have billions and billions and billions of dollars in endowment at the very top end schools. And their tuitions are $60,000 a year now, pretty regularly. That's, that's really where it is. And they'll even tell you that that doesn't even cover the full cost of educating a student based upon the structure they have set up for these four-year colleges. So you have to wonder, I mean, are they are the education so much better now than they were 
30 or 40 years ago. Many of you probably have, or some of you listening went through this yourselves, but those of you who are around my age, you have parents who will tell stories about how they were, you know, pulling weeds out of the ground from someone's yard and, you know, doing a little bit of roofing or working as a a dock hand or, I don't know, whatever, you know, a store clerk, ice ice cream scooper. Um, Bruce and Mark, what's the, like, what's the most job job you've had? I mean, right now you work in media, you're fancy. What was the most job job you've you had? You know, this is actually hilarious. Ice cream scooper. Really? Yes. I was unaware of that. Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. I uh, Hershey ice cream shop. Oh. Yeah. Uh, what was your favorite flavor of ice cream? I mean, at a Hershey's ice cream sl- shop, obviously chocolate. Chocolate, right, okay. Yeah. There's no better chocolate ice cream than Hershey's. Just making sure you didn't say strawberry because That's it would be like crossing flavor. the streams and you'd have total protonic reversal and you'd have to imagine every cell in your body exploding at the speed of light. That's what happens if you say strawberry is your favorite. I didn't realize that's what happened. That's what happens. Science. It's hashtag science. So is it true that it's actually really hard after a while to scoop the ice cream out, though? I've been told that it gets, you know, uh, it, they it's, don't just, it's more challenging than you than people think. It is. Yeah, it, uh, it is. They don't just wet the, the scooper for no reason, by the way. Right. That helps it. Yeah. yeah. See? Producer Mark had a job job. It used to be that you could have had that job job, and if you were going to, you know, NYU, or if you were going to GW in D.C. or wherever, you might be able to, over the course of a summer— you know, pay off maybe a semester, a half a semester of that school. If you're going to pay off a year at NYU or GW now, you better be making about 150 grand. And like after taxes, you'll have some money to pay off that. It's ridiculous. Why is it so much more expensive now? Well, in part, it's so much more expensive because of people running around saying that what everyone should get a four-year college education. You have to get a four-year college education. They don't understand there's a supply and demand component of the workforce it's not just everyone doesn't just get to be in the best richest best you know highest paying jobs we don't all get to be top you know corporate lawyers or or heart surgeons or you know whatever i look i wish i could have been a heart surgeon but math hashtag no math for buck um but instead what you have are people saying take out these loans and it will just be wiped away take out these loans the taxpayers on the hook for it Moral hazard doesn't matter here. You know, learning your lesson doesn't matter here. And there's a br- the, the bigger, broader lesson that I want you all to take from this, too, is what, a, what if a socialist, a socialist Sanders or socialist Warren just says this and the education department goes along as part of the executive branch? You could say it's going to be maybe it'll be wrapped up in the courts or somebody will bring some kind of a challenge. But who knows if that'll even work? Depends on what judge you get and what the system, what the uh, situation is at the time. But beyond that. It's just like with amnesty. Once you tell people their debts are canceled by the government, they're going to act like the debt is canceled, and they're going to have a and they're going to have a strong case to be to, to make that that's the case. So now you have socialist, now you have socialist rhetoric about, um, you know, socialist rhetoric about the reality of just having a president who wipes stuff away. Absurd, absurd. But that is where we are. Elizabeth Warren is saying, if I am president, I will effectively give you up to $50,000 if you are predominantly a, you know, upwardly mobile young person who took out loans and they don't want to pay them off. This is a payoff. She's just taking money from you, the taxpayer, and giving it to people that she thinks are going to vote for her. And if they'll do it with student loans, let me tell you something. Democrat socialists will do it with whatever they want. What happens if, if a President Warren comes in and says... Um, I'm I'm declaring an, an amnesty, 
and I'm, I'm telling the Department of Homeland Security to give people, you know, okay, maybe it gets challenged in court, but what if they say, no, we, we don't care. We're going to go ahead with this anyway. What are you going to do? How are you going to stop them? It's the right thing to do, they'll say. That's what Obama used to say whenever he wanted his way. Got to go around Congress. Congress isn't acting, so I will act. That was, the, that was what Obama got away with saying. The press was like, oh, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds constitutional. Don't underestimate the comrades. They're coming for all of us. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. She said that she wanted to see the rules of the road so that she could appoint appropriate managers to present the case to the Senate. She did not say, well, I'm holding out until Mitch McConnell agrees to witnesses. So let's get back to what we really should be doing, which is, or focusing on, which is what kind of a trial are we going to have in the Senate? Is it going to be a fair trial or is it going to be a rigged trial? Allison, just as the president tried to rig his re-election by, by trying to get the Ukrainian president to go along with his political scheme, he's trying to, with the help of Mitch McConnell, rig the Senate trial by not calling appropriate witnesses and producing documents. The president has been stonewalling this, this impeachment process the whole way. And now the, he has an opportunity in the trial to present his case. And presenting his case means presenting facts and evidence, not saying this is a witch hunt. Uh, that is not evidence. That's just rhetorical, what I call rhetorical. Nothing burgers. Uh, I think Maisie Hirono is the dumbest person in Congress. I, I really believe that. I actually don't even say it to be amusing. I, I actually think she's the dumbest person in Congress based on what she says publicly and the way that she conducts herself as an elected official. And so in a sense, she provides... Uh, very, you know, she she plays a very necessary role because it makes, you know, former members of the Senate like Joe Biden look not quite so dumb by comparison. Joe Biden, I think, is also a bit of a dumbass, even though he's been vice president of the United States. Remember, they can call Republican presidents, vice presidents stupid all they want. And then we're supposed to always accept that. Right. George W. Bush was so dumb. George W. Bush is smarter than Al Gore, has always been smarter than Al Gore and always will be smarter than Al Gore. OK, so as much as the media can try to you know just brainwash everyone into thinking otherwise. Uh, you know, Maisie Hirono here, though. We, we got to talk more. Then now we're getting to the impeachment stuff, the articles, the transmission of the articles, blah, blah. That's coming up. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Senate was never going to pre-commit ourselves to redoing the prosecutor's homework for them. And we were never going to allow the Speaker of the House to dictate Senate proceedings to senators. House Democrats have already done enough damage to the president, to national unity. Mitch McConnell's going to hold the line here, I think, which is good. He understands who he's up against here with these Democrats. He knows that they have no honor or integrity whatsoever in this process. And so all of their scheming and all of their insinuations... Their smears, all this stuff that they're doing right now about uh, Mitch McConnell is just desperation play. But perhaps there's nothing really more desperate and disgraceful in this whole situation than what has just uh, what has just come to light. And that is that they're now doing the Russia, Russia playbook against Mitch McConnell. This is uh, from a CNN reporter. So not somebody, not someone on the right who's trying to find some way to 
bash Nancy Pelosi, which really to bash Nancy Pelosi, just let her speak publicly long enough and she'll say something really stupid or really dishonest and then watch all the Democrats scramble that, oh, Pelosi is the great strategist. Uh, Pelosi is a narcissistic loon. But anyway, here's what the CNN reporter uh, shared this morning. Pelosi told her colleagues in private that Mitch McConnell is acting like a rogue Senate leader, as she said before. She mused that sometimes she wonders whether Mitch McConnell has Russian connections as per attendees at the meeting. Oh, yeah, that's right, folks. Because Mitch McConnell is not doing what Nancy Pelosi says he should do in the Senate. Remember, the Senate has the soul. This is the Senate's world. By the way, thank God that Republicans held the Senate in that last election, which was not which was not something that that could be counted on up front. I mean, you look at the the Kavanaugh effect here, and it is I, I do believe that it's very likely that Kavanaugh uh, and the Democrats shameful, shameful effort to destroy that man, um, that that Kavanaugh's uh, effort, I mean that, that Kavanaugh's effect on the Senate that kept it in Republican hands was in fact the the difference maker here. Uh, could you imagine if you had a Senate majority? Now, they wouldn't they wouldn't get to the two-thirds vote, even if you had had a couple seats go the other way. But if you had Chuck Schumer running this thing and not Mitch McConnell, my God, this would be a circus beyond circuses. This would be like the craziest thing you've ever seen. I couldn't even think of something at the time, but, you know, something to, to get to the, the biggest circus ever. I'm not really sure. Also, I feel like circuses have become... Uh, they're a little out of fashion now, especially you're not allowed to have animals at circuses anymore. You know, people get very mad about like elephants being trained and lion tamers and all that stuff. That's pretty much all gone now. You can't really do that anymore. I don't know how times change. But fortunately, Mitch McConnell's in charge. Mitch McConnell's in charge. And so he is not going to allow for the shenanigans from Democrats. But just remember this. While everyone was so aghast yesterday. Oh, my gosh. President Trump retweeted. A photoshopped image of Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer in front of an Iranian flag with a uh, a a turban and a headscarf, respectively. And people were saying, oh, this is so horrible. And how could he do this? And well, they call Trump a Russian traitor all the time. And the evidence for that is still zero. There's no actual evidence that Trump is a Russian. I mean, not only can they not prove he's a Russian traitor, there's zero evidence for this. This is a without evidence claim. Oh, he says nice things about Putin. Obama says nice, said nice things about uh, Cuba and the Castros all the time. You know, or, or things that were too nice about them. Oh, you know, it's too friendly to them for sure. I guess he's a, he's a Cuban asset. I mean, this is absurd. This is absurd, but they, they say whatever they have to say to get what they want at the time they want it. And that's, that's all that really matters to them. Tomorrow is supposed to be the day that... They will transmit the articles of impeachment. There'll be a vote to transmit them. And then Pelosi has told the Democrats who do march in lockstep. I, I admire the Prussian precision of Democrats as a uh, as a political party when they want something. There is there's none of this uh, concern over principle. You know, the, somehow the Democrats, they don't they don't have, you know, Amash's and Rand Paul's and these other characters who have big problems with their own party on this stuff. You know, they've ever the Democratic Party's like, yeah, we're we'll do whatever Pelosi says. 
So they'll vote to transmit these articles of impeachment. I, I still very much believe that the correct, uh, the correct approach here for the Senate is to just shut this whole thing down. Just shut it down. Shut it down. Just say, okay, great. Thank you for these articles. This is a sham. Let's vote. Oh, the president's innocent. See you later. I think that's it. All this stuff about, oh, we need to have witnesses and we need, no, we need to have whatever, whatever Mitch McConnell says we need to have. That's the reality of it. We saw what happened in the House. We saw the way Adam Schiff set all the rules. Where's the whistleblower, by the way? Notice how there's all this concern over witnesses who will testify at the impeachment. Whatever happened to the whistleblower? The single most important person in our republic at one point. Oh, he's going to bring down the president and tell us tales of, of corruption and all this other stuff. Meanwhile, we turn around and we say, hold on a second. Uh, we don't get to know who this guy, we can't have it confirmed by the press who the whistleblower really is. They have no interest in getting us the truth on that matter. And beyond that, uh, we are not going to hear from the whistleblower. We're not going to hear from the whistleblower uh, in this impeachment farce. Why? Why does he? Oh, he's not the only one who thinks that he has or, or that he's not going to have to testify. And apparently not even Republicans are talking about this. Uh, I would also want to know, why does Adam Schiff think that he is not supposed to testify here? Why does Adam Schiff think he can avoid this? Play clip, play clip 12. Uh, look, I, I'm not a fact witness, so other than mollifying the president, I'm not sure why the Senate would call me or Nancy Pelosi as a witness. Really? But, but I if, don't it think, a, if it I, is a fair I, trial, though, you could very well see the case where the Bidens would have to be there. Yes. You think that is a good thing politically? You think that's a good thing for impeachment as a whole? I think what the senators would have to evaluate is, do the Bidens have any relevant testimony? Right. And I think the answer is that they don't. What is at issue here is whether the president withheld military aid, withheld official acts like a White House meeting in order to coerce a, a country to announce investigations, not even conduct them but just announce them to help smear his opponent. Uh, and there's not much light that Joe Biden or Hunter Biden can shed on the president's conduct. So Adam Schiff is like, no, no, we don't need to hear from the Bidens because I say so. No, he doesn't get he doesn't get to make that determination. That's not that's not how this is going to go. It is absolutely relevant that we hear from Hunter Biden uh, in this. If we're going to call witnesses at all, which again, I, I want to be very clear, I do not think that that is the proper. I don't think that that's the right way to go. I think that it makes much more, much more sense under the circumstances um, to have the Republican majority just say, thanks, this is, a, this is crap, this impeachment is ridiculous, and just throw it out like the pizza you pull out of the fridge that's been sitting there for a month that you thought was actually a week, and it smells and it has, like, green fuzz on it, you know? When, it goes, when the pizza goes fuzzy, then you know it's really time to not eat it. By the way, Producer Mark, did you see that the latest craze right now? Wait, before I get, before I get to, to nuts here... Are you, are you a pro or anti pineapple topping on pizza guy? Absolutely against it. Opposed. Yeah. So you're a purist. Of course. Yeah. Why would you put pineapple on pizza? That's disgusting. So I'm, I, I've actually never had pineapple on pizza, so I cannot speak to whether or not it's a good thing. I haven't either. It strikes, but me, it just... strikes me as a bit of culinary sacrilege, yeah. but now there's a new trend. Mm -hmm. Kiwi, the oh, fruit. Just get out of here. I don't even want to hear about it. On a pizza. Any fruit does not belong on pizza. 
Anything sweet. Technically, producer Mark, tomato is a fruit. Boom. Mine. Yeah, but you don't blown. usually put fresh tomato. Yeah, I know. Tomato. It's technically vegetable yeah. is a cooking term, and it's a vegetable, but it's technically, as a, scientifically speaking, it's a fruit. I mean, sure, but that's the sauce. That's not, you're not putting tomatoes on it. I mean, you could, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know. Those aren't sweet. I mean, I don't know what kind of tomatoes you use, but I use my San Marzano's. They're delicious. Mm. Yeah. But, yeah, no, so, so kiwi, on, kiwi on pizza no. is no, no, no bueno for you. You don't do that? All right. Well, I'm just saying, if you pull the pizza out of the fridge and smell bad, you'd throw it across the room and say, not for me, right? That's what the Senate should do with these articles of impeachment as transmitted by the Democrats. They should just say, this is ridiculous. We're done here. We're done here. Because you have, the, you have these witnesses that come forward, and even if the Republicans get to, uh, get to decide who the witnesses will be in the Senate— there's always the possibility that something, um, you know, that the Democrats can seize on something dishonestly if need be, but they'll seize on something to use against the Republicans in that whole proceeding. And why give them any more leeway? I think there's also a lesson to be learned here. If Democrats play hard ball, bare knuckle politics in the House, Republicans need to do the same in the Senate. If nothing else, haven't we learned as, as wartime conservatives, as I like to say, that we have to be willing to fight against our adversaries the way they fight against us? Or else we just consign ourselves to losing. Or else we just accept right up front that we can't win. We won't win because we're unwilling to do what is necessary. So I think, that's, I think shutting this down is absolutely the way to go. We shall see if I am, if I am uh, correct. Oh, we got a little more from, from Shifty. Oh, no, no, wait. No, forget that. We've heard enough of Shifty Shift. Shifty Schumer, though, almost as Shifty as Shifty Shift. This is one of those things that you could practice saying to... Work on diction. You remember that stuff? Seashell. She sells seashells by the seashore, producer Mark. Says says the radio host in real time on the show. Um, I'm not having some kind of an episode over here. I'm just trying to take everybody back to, uh, you know, how you learn diction. All right, play uh, Chuck Schumer, clip nine. If he says everything's fine and he did nothing wrong, why is he so afraid of Bolton and the other three witnesses we've asked for testifying? If he did nothing wrong and he's not afraid, why he, won't he let us get contemporary docu- contemporaneous documents? If the president's so right, then all of this, all these witnesses and documents will corroborate his case. I think he's hiding something, and that's why he's so afraid of witnesses and documents. Oh, isn't this so cute? This is like when Democrats conveniently, momentarily forget that, say, pleading the fifth is not an admission of guilt. They'll, they'll only say that if they don't like the person. Oh, a guilty, uh, an innocent person doesn't plead the fifth. If they like the person, they say, no, you have a right to avoid self-incrimination. You don't have to answer the questions of the government, whatever it may be. And this is another instance where the Democrat position becomes because Trump will not go along with their attempts to destroy him. He's clearly guilty. Because Trump will not assist them in the annihilation of his own presidency, he must be guilty. This is what they say. That he fights back against this process is all you have to know. It's all you have to be told. Clearly, he must be a bad guy because he won't give them, he won't waive all executive privilege, give them all of his documents, have everybody, you know, do what they say or else you're guilty. This is the this is the way that Democrats think fairness should work in this process. Absolutely, absolutely absurd. But they've got nothing, folks. They've got nothing. They've made a mistake. They got their they got their base. They got their voters all fired up, thinking maybe they were going to be able to finally 
take down Trump with this scam, with the sham of impeachment. Turns out it's not going to happen. By the way, Rand Paul here is saying that he might force a vote on Hunter Biden testimony if the GOP... Um, what is this? is interesting. Why would he do this? GOP back impeachment witnesses. Yeah. So if the GOP says there's going to be witnesses that, that Rand Paul is going to force um, calling witnesses, including Hunter Biden. My colleagues can't have it both ways, calling for some while blocking others. If we're going to give a platform to witnesses the Democrats demand, I look forward to forcing votes to call Hunter Biden and many more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is this is a this is a no leeway no halfway situation. You shouldn't call the witness. You should shut it down. Shut it down. Listen to the Buckster on this one. Buckster, the grand strategist from inside the Freedom Hut. I'm telling you, Mitch McConnell. I'm telling you, Republicans. Sh- just, just, just slap it down. You know, it's like, hey, are you gonna try to? Are you gonna try to produce a mark? You know, in the big game, and you're in the end zone. Do you try for the pick, or do you try to just whap it down? Just whap that ball down because you don't want the guy to I'm, get a touchdown. I'm not even sure you know what you just said. You know, what I'm, yeah, it's when they you're not going to get a, you know if you're so trying you're on to, defense you're here? on defense uh-huh. and the ball's coming into the receiver. Sure, do you want to try to be fancy and catch that interception, or you want to just whap it down? You're going to sure whap it down. You whap it down. Sure, exactly. But it just took a while to get there. Well, this, I'm, I'm trying to you know I'm expanding I'm expanding my verbal palate to include some sports analogies. We have producer marker, and I did watch football <laughs> recently. Exactly. And karate chops, buck slaps. Mitch McConnell, listen to me, my man. Don't call witnesses. Don't go through all this. Just uh, as the great John Madden would say, just whap it down. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. You know, my son Adam is literally my policy advisor. I'm not joking. If you ever met him, I mean, my team, everybody will tell you. It's like, oh, it's Adam speaking. You know, he's a person. He's like, I'm so tired, mom, of people saying capitalism is socialism. Why not peopleism? You know, he, he one time, I was in a meeting with Chairwoman Maxine Waters and two other colleagues about pushing this uh, amendment to stop fossil fuel investment. Us, the government, stop investing in fossil fuels. And he whispers to me, Mom, can I have a piece of paper? And of course, he doesn't know how to whisper. Um, and I give him this piece of paper. You know, he sometimes likes to sketch. So I'm thinking he's drawing over there. Before that meeting ended, he handed me the piece of paper. I had posted it. And he said, Mom, you got to tell him. He says, we only have until 2030. Like, he was giving me these talking points. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, I put it up and I shared it to share me, share, Chairwoman Waters and my colleagues. And she just smiled. And I thought to myself, God, if we could just clear the room and sometimes put kids in the room. Democrats really believe this. That's Rashida Tlaib. They really think that children have more wisdom about policy than adults, apparently. This is this is the Greta Thunberg situation. This is why so many blue check journos create these false narr- these these false anecdotes about their own children. You know, Daddy, I just want to know why is it that Medicare for all is being opposed by those who, because of cronyism and obsession with capitalist free markets, refuse to put people first. Said my five-year-old, your five-year-old didn't say that. And oh, by the way, libs, I don't care what your five or your 10 or your 15-year-old thinks about any policy matter whatsoever. And the fact that the libs do care is in fact a data point 
about how little we should care what they think about anything because they have very poor judgment and they are emotionally unstable. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. A quick bit of uh, news trivia for you today, team. What is the number three trending topic on Twitter in America right now? You might think it was the big LSU-Clemson game last night, which I know about because I love America and freedom. And even though I did not know that this game was happening until it was actually on the TV screens, I know that it was very fun for people to watch. And I enjoy the enjoyment that other people get from watching collegiate athletes playing the sport of football. Because I, I am a real American and a normal American that people can relate to. So go LSU Clemson stuff. What are, what are the, do we know what the mascots are for them, by the way? They're literally the same mascot. Are you serious? Yes, they're both the Tigers. No, that's not possible. I swear to you. They're both Tigers? Yeah. Are you messing with me? Is I'm, this like I'm a thing really on not. Air? They really are both the Tigers. That was a joke on Twitter all yesterday. Who's going to win, the Tigers or the Tigers? This is like when Michael Malice tried to convince me that that uh, Aaron Paul, the YouTuber, was a relative of Rand Paul's. And I was just like, well, how do I know if they're like, I mean, it could be. I mean, that, was, that does sound possible. Right. But this, you know, he's like, oh, no, it's real. And then as soon as I was like, all right, I didn't know that. He's like, you idiot. That's not real. I'm like, well, how would I know I that? I mean, for the longest time, I didn't know Chuck Schumer and Amy Schumer were, were, were related. They are related, yeah. right? Yeah. That's I didn't know thing. that for a long time. Interesting. Um, do you find her funny, by the way? I find her... I think the uh, movie. Certain things. I saw a movie that she was in, and it was one of the worst things I've ever seen. I think it was some kind of a dating movie. I forget what it was called. Oh, the one with LeBron in it. I yes, think. Yeah, yes. That was not good. One of the worst movies ever made. Yeah. And she should be ashamed for all eternity as an as an artiste for being involved in that hunk I mean, of garbage. The movie. check probably cleared. And probably Adam did. Sandler's made a lot of bad movies. But uh, you're telling me paid. to go see the 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 what's yeah. the movie the Uncut the, Gems, uh, Uncut which Gems. got snubbed. Oh. <gasps> Not even Good one heads. nomination. People are very angry about it. I, I, I love this. This boy, I, mean, I wasn't even thinking I was going to talk about movies today. But wait, don't go anywhere because right. uh, because I got to ask you a thing about the game. Um, but someone who writes for GQ, like a, a, a sex advice column for GQ, a blue check person, was upset to the point of profanity about how there were no women in the movie 1917 and how like I saw why a do tweet we about this. Yeah. Why do we have to keep why do we have to keep watching like this thing about the World War One? Like, oh, like World War One, like such a big deal. It's actually a pretty big deal, darling. It's actually a, a pretty it's actually yeah. a pretty shaped important country, yeah. kind of shaped the modern world and yeah. also cost Europe an entire generation of young men because of Government and bureaucrat stupidity and uh, really created also the groundwork that led to World War Two. And uh, yeah, it's it's so I, I think you can say a big deal, but but no, apparently, yeah. apparently not. And, it, and it's really what you what you find is that uh, trench warfare in World War One, as you know, is the patriarchy. That oh, is the patriarchy. Just dudes. How do you expect to fake putting women in that battle? I mean, not that were, were women in the army at that time. Nope. I don't think so. No. Mm-mm. Nope. There's nothing we can do about that now in 2020. No, but wokeness means not having to not having to bend the knee to reality. Sure, there really sh- there should have been a whole female battalions in 1917 
who were, you know, were running with like, you know, women's march T-shirts on running across that field just for the artistic merit of it. That would have made it a much better, much better film. Yeah, I but, hate factually incorrect movies. Yeah, I know. I, I get angry about that, too. Oh, wait, but so I the mean, LSU thing, LSU Clemson game, L, uh, LSU won, right? Yes. And do we, do we like this? Is this a, is this good for us? Sure, yeah. The, oh, uh, are, is the Freedom Hut pro-LSU or pro-Clemson? You get to decide. Uh, I, I guess. That's you. It's all I on your shoulders. pro-LSU. I don't know. We're You're probably pro- pissed off half of Alabama there. Oh. Uh, oh, is Clemson an Alabama thing? Yes. Where's Clemson? It's Clemson's in Alabama. Clemson's in Alabama. I didn't know They're that. They're big rivals with Alabama. Ah, uh, yeah. I, 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 this is a whole- this is You a whole... know where LSU is, right? Louisiana. Oh, my God, yes. Baton oh, okay. Rouge. I thought I got that wrong. I was worried for a second. All right, no, no, yeah. But, yes, uh, their quarterback, Joe Burrow, will be the number one overall pick in the NFL draft this year. He'll probably go to Cincinnati, uh, okay. which really stinks for him. But Yeah, well, you know, yeah. at least he can hang out in Miami in the offseason. Um, so this is the – you might think, Buck, aren't we talking about the LSU-Clemson game because that's the number three trending topic? No, 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 no. The number three trending topic on Twitter has to do with the LSU Clemson game, but it is not actually I know about where you're the going game. with this. No, not actually the game at all. The only reason you know it, about this game, isn't it? Yes, uh-huh. this is true. He just called me out, but it's accurate. Um, Vince Vaughn, who is an, a, an actor with a tremendous range that goes from movies where he plays Vince Vaughn to other movies where he plays a slightly older Vince Vaughn. Um, but I do like him. I mean, I think I think he's made some great. I think Old School is great. Wedding Crashers is great. These are fun movies, no question. He was horrifically bad in the second season of True Detective, but I'll let that slide. Um, Vince Vaughn at the LSU Clemson game went up to the president of the United States and his wife, shook hands, ex- exchanged pleasantries, and went about the rest of his life. And the left is freaking out about it all over the social media. Oh, it's fun. Trump's a fascist. Oh, people freaking out. I don't understand. They got to get a grip. They got to get a grip. It's just not that big a deal. The guy was just saying hi. This is the same thing that happened with Ellen and George W. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, she was. I, I give Ellen credit. She was like, I'm, a, I'm, you know, he's a human being. I'm a human being. Sometimes human beings are nice to each other. You know, I, I was like, yeah. Well, you know, they, well, when you're Ellen, also, it's like, come on. Like, they can't. Who doesn't the, like Ellen? The, I was going to say, it's yeah. like, there are some people that even the left, the, even the left, no matter how how angry they get, like, the wokeness will ever come, you know. Ellen. Yeah. I mean, Oprah, Ellen, they can pretty much do the thing that Baby Yoda does, where they, like, stop the, you know, the bad guys from moving. They can just freeze them in they midair. They stop Twitter. Yeah, they can just stop Twitter. Oprah can just wave her hand, and, like, Twitter will freeze. Same thing with Ellen. Um Including, you know, because they're on the, they're like very powerful figures uh, to the left and on the left. Anyway, so Vince Vaughn uh, was was pleasant to the sitting president of the United States, the commander in chief, and people are all freaked out about that. Um, that's a real thing that is going on right now. Uh, Vince Vaughn, they're saying, should be canceled. I mean, Democrats are completely insane, folks. This is this is a a real thing that is happening right now. That's how much they've been convinced that. Uh, that Donald Trump is is a menace, is a danger, is a bad guy. Um, it's not possible to have reasonable conversations with people who think that it is a transgression to shake hands, as just as an American, as any person, as an American to shake hands with the sitting president of the United States, a president who has done what? What's the terrible thing that he's done again exactly? 
what what countries has he uh, invaded and destroyed? Uh, what what you know internment camps has he set up for people and sent American citizens into? What's the really horrific thing that Donald Trump has done? I always love this. Oh, they misrepresent something that he said at a press conference a few years ago. That's what the the thing that we're all supposed to be terrified about. These people are crazy, but that's also why when I saw this morning, you know, CNN was running some story on how the ocean is warming at the same rate as if we dropped five Hiroshima-sized nuclear bombs in the ocean every day. I mean, I know that's supposed to be released. That's like, it sounds to people, oh my gosh, that's so, so scary. The ocean, I'm gonna let you in a little secret, is really, really big. So even if it sounds like, oh, my gosh, five nuclear bombs in the ocean in a day, um, that, that, that's, that's a real, it's a really big ocean. All right. So let's not get too worried about this. But they're trying to find the most viscerally disturbing imagery possible to describe what is a naturally occurring process that has always been occurring. Temperature of the ocean has always been going up, going down. That's just the reality of the planet we live in. But they want people to be terrified. And as part of that terror campaign, they come up with ways to play upon the fear that they've created. I mean, this is now the, the climate change stuff. You know, look, it's you see this with the way that, that Trump is treated as the worst person ever by the left. Um, there's the exaggeration has gotten to the point now where there's no backing down from it. I mean, they've really convinced people that Donald Trump is the scariest, worst person ever. And so there's no, they're not willing to they're not willing to try to scale that back at all. Um, you also have this with climate change. If you want any attention for your climate change cause, what you end up having to do as a lib and as a media outlet now is just say the most outrageous, frightening things possible. And and then and then people will click on it and they'll want to hear it. You know, then you have to say the world is going to end in 12 years. No, the world's going to end in 10 years. You know, not six, seven. You know, the, not not six minute abs, seven minute abs. Uh that's that's where we are on this. It reminds me a little bit of the local news trick that you still see sometimes where it's like, well, you know, good evening, I'm so-and-so, and here's the, you know, a- a- attractive female that appeals to the largest local demographic viewership we have here, um, whatever that may be. And, uh, you know, tonight we're going to talk to you about the mayor's race and also the thing you have in your home that may kill you unless we tell you what it is. Coming up later. This is the This is a... Kind of a caricature of what, but I mean, that that really happens. I mean, you look at local news; they'll do that. People go, "Oh, I better know, or else this thing's going to kill me." Um, that's now like the climate change people. It's it's you know here we have another scientist who says unless we take climate change seriously, we have six years left. No, we have four years left. No, we have ten years left. Oh, we're all going to die because when you set the bar at that level to get anyone's attention, you have to take you have to take the dial to eleven. You know, not 10, 11, not 6, 7. All right. You see what I'm saying? You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. This is very interesting. And I I didn't get a chance to to address this earlier. But let me share with you. This just broke. This is a, a, a piece in the New York Times. Russians hacked Ukrainian gas company at the center of impeachment. Give you some of the details here. And I quote, 
With President Trump facing an impeachment trial over his efforts to pressure Ukraine to investigate former Vice President Joseph R. Biden Jr. and his son Hunter Biden, Russian military hackers have been boring into the Ukrainian gas company at the center of the affair, according to security experts. The hacking attempts against Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company on whose board Hunter Biden served, began in early November as talk of the Biden's Ukraine and impeachment was dominating the news in the United States. It is not yet clear what the hackers found or precisely what they were searching for. But the experts say the timing and scale of the attack suggests that the Russians could be searching for potentially embarrassing material on the Bidens, the same kind of information that Mr. Trump wanted from Ukraine when he pressured an investigation of the Bidens and Burisma, setting off a chain of events that led to his impeachment. Hmm. Then as, as, now, then as now, the Russian hackers from a military intelligence unit known formerly as the GRU and to private researchers by the alias Fancy Bear use so-called phishing emails that, designed, uh, that are designed to steal usernames and passwords, according to a Silicon Valley security firm that detected the hacking called Area One. I guess we're, we're putting a lot of faith and credibility in this Area One, which, by the way, this has blown up in the media's face before. It did back with the Washington Post and their whole Russian fake news thing. They cited some security expert online cyber group that was a joke, that it was like nothing, it didn't really exist. But the Washington Post ran with it because it was anti-Trump. That was early in the Trump presidency. Let's unpack this for a minute. Ukrainian gas company, the center of impeachment, Burisma, is hacked by Russians. That's what they're saying. Hmm. Why would we be, why would they tell us this? Why would they tell us this? Why would they be concerned about this, too? Um, There are a few things that could be going on here, and I'm not quite committed in my mind yet to which one I think is the most likely. So I'm just, I'm working through some of the options here with you as I see it. You could have an effort to just bring up Russia again right now in the whole impeachment situation and, oh, the Russians are trying to help Trump. And that's anything that can be talked about as a Russia issue gets Democrats excited. Anything that is in the, in the world of Russia stuff gets Democrats excited. Um, okay, that's possible. So it's just, it's just a distraction from the, excuse me, <clears throat> whoa, distraction from the uh, impeachment situation. And it's something that we have to just move past as quickly as we can because it doesn't mean anything. Here's another possibility, though. What if we're being told this by the New York Times? What if they're, they're telling us this because there are concerns? There are concerns that maybe somewhere in the Burisma files, somewhere on the Burisma servers... There could be information that it doesn't even have to be criminal. Remember that. It just has to look really bad. Perhaps not not even involving Hunter Biden directly, but about Hunter Biden in some way. All you need is one director of, you know, a Burisma or one CEO or, you know, somebody high up the food chain over there writing a colleague some email like, all right, pay that, pay that, uh, you know, idiot. Hunter Biden, fifty to eighty thousand dollars a month, whatever we got to pay him, because that means that his dad will lay off us in this whole corruption thing a little bit, you know, just because of the appearance of it all. All you need is an email like that, 
And the Democrats' efforts to use this thing as a means of, of removing the president of the United States and preventing his, his reelection turns into a nightmare for them. That's all you need. And what I think is so interesting is that there's also, it, it's very clear from the way this is reported on, that if, if the Russians found, and we're, this is the, the way that the left thinks, the, the left thinks about these issues is really on a loop, right? It's Russia, right? They, they think about this stuff the same way all the time. If the left found a, uh, or sorry, if the Russians found information that did, in fact, look bad for the Bidens in Ukraine on this Burisma stuff. You already know that the press would treat this like it was not, you know, when they get information from WikiLeaks that hurts Bush, when they get information of any kind, when they get leaks about national security that hurt a Republican, the press runs with it. The public has to know how we got it, whether it was illegal or not, doesn't matter. If. And, and by the way, you saw this with the, with the Bernie Sanders, uh, Hillary Clinton situation with the DNC emails that were released. Journalists were very like, oh, I don't know. You know, this is although that's a little different because they were. They were still talking about Democrats and Democrats. Right. So there were some different equities that got brought into play there. Do you think that they would accept information that was dumped by WikiLeaks or anyone else that looked bad for the Bidens as anything? They would say it's Russian disinformation. I guarantee it. Guarantee it. At this point, they would come up with whatever storyline they had to as uh, as reporters, as journalists, to avoid treating that information like the incredibly newsworthy stuff. It is. Look what they've done with the whistleblower. They have pretended for months now that the whistleblower is not his identity is not a newsworthy item. That is a lie. That is a joke. That is ridiculous. If Russia found information on the Burisma servers that looked bad for the Bidens, the journalists already want to make sure that, or, or if anyone found that information, by that's another important point here too. If someone in Ukraine comes forward, a whistleblower, you could even say, with information about the Bidens in Ukraine, they'd say it's a it's a Russian operation. This is now the not only is this the weapon they use, this is the sword and the shield. This is the weapon they use against Republicans, and it's what they will say to defend the Bidens that they have to see. It was a any information that comes out about the Bidens with regard to Burisma, it doesn't matter who puts it out there. It's a Russian intelligence operation on behalf of Trump. That's what they're doing here. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. The show ain't over yet, folks. Keeping it real. It's time for Roll Call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton for roll call purposes. Uh, also, Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com. And uh, let's go. Yesterday, I got a little too uh, a little too chatty with producer Mark, so we, we, I, I trampled on your roll call time a little bit today. I wanted to give you a little more time for that. By the way, I also wanted a programming note that I'm going to be out in Los Angeles uh, Thursday, Friday, meeting with some folks. Got some things got to take care of on the West Coast, the left coast, and... I'll be back uh, next week, but I'll be gone Thursday, Friday. Uh, my man Ben Weingarten is going to be in both on radio and on Pluto TV, channel 248, the first. That's what he's going to What's up? 
Well, we have a show Monday, too. Oh, yeah, Monday. Well, I'm out Monday, but that's like yeah. a holiday. So you know. I'm just letting the, the listeners yeah, know. Correct. The Thank you. He wants to, so, so I'll be out for a few days. This is the last stretch of, of Buck out of the hut that I think is going to happen uh, for more than a day. You know, I, I'm not expecting to be out for more than a day between now and the election, really. That's, my, that's what I'm thinking is going to be the case. So this is the last one. Um, so, uh, yeah, just let's see. My man, Ben Weingarten, will be doing a great job. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Joe. Joe writes in and, and he has the following. I will slay him. Oh, ho, ho. Die. 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 I can't. Of course, he's writing to me in reference to the movie Forgetting Sarah Marshall, where the uh, protagonist, played by uh, the guy who's from How I Met Your Mother, I forget his real name, um, do you know talk? You know this guy, Jason Segal or Siegel? I yeah, Jason Siegel. I think his name is. Yeah, yeah, Jason Siegel, where where he plays like a a heartbroken boyfriend who goes to the Turtle Bay Resort on the north side of Oahu, which is actually where it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, and he has uh, Kristen Bell is there, and also I can't remember the uh, little brunette actress's name. She's uh, Ukrainian. Of anyway, whatever. It's a good movie. I've seen it many times. It's a little raunchy, certainly not for the kids to watch, but uh, I have enjoyed that movie, and I like his whole Dracula theater thing because that reminds me of, like, I did the Dracula show here for uh, Halloween, which I kind of want to return to and do an update of at some point. All right. Dave writes, Buck, enjoyed the Michael Malice interview. Yeah, Dave, Michael and I are buddies, and uh, I did his show, You're Welcome. And we had a long chat. We chatted for about an hour just about everything. So uh, just go go to, I don't know how you even find it, but look on Michael Malice's Facebook or Twitter page. I'm sure he has it linked up there. I retweeted it on Twitter. Um, but if you want to listen, by all means, we had a long, a long chat. TJ, long time no speak. In regards to legalization of weed, I've been pondering whether raising the tobacco age to 21 is a foreshadowing of what may be coming down the pipe Maybe they're planning on a federal legalization of weed, and to make it easy, they're setting the legal age of 21 for everything. Just a thought. Also, it's the only way that I can justify Republicans supporting more nanny state nonsense. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know when we're going to reach the conversation of uh, the conversation changing to the legitimate federalization of weed. When that's really going to happen? I mean, the, meaning it's it's no longer illegal. Marijuana right now, anywhere in the United States, is illegal under federal law. It is. States can't change that. States have been allowed with a kind of wink and a nod from the federal government to decriminalize for their own purposes. I believe New York state is going to be following that uh, is going to be following that path as well pretty soon here. I mean, I, I don't know about you, producer Mark. I can't even walk. I feel like I can't walk more than five blocks without. Ooh, somebody's smoking some kind bud on the. Yeah, I noticed here. it a lot more when we were in Midtown. Yeah, not as much down here, but. Yeah, well, Tribeca, we're down in Tribeca where we do the show, part of, which is for the triangle below Canal, yeah. for Canal Street, part of Manhattan, which is fancy. Yeah, very bougie area. Very down here. fancy down here. We are not fancy. No. But we are in a fan, nor is the Freedom Hut fancy, but we are in a fancy area. Yeah, not which I, I prefer it down here to the uh, tourist trap that we're, where our old studios were located. Oh, man, if you're talking about a place to go for a walk and hang out, it's way nicer around here. Oh, yeah. It's beautiful down around here. Yeah. yeah, I always tell people, don't, when you go to New York, man, don't hang out. Don't hang out near Times Square. Don't hang out in Midtown. Don't do it. Don't do it. 
So let's see what we have here. Next up. Um, Karen, regarding chocolate, I am very skinny and I eat lots of chocolate. I never eat anything less than 85% pure chocolate. It's the sugar that makes one fat, not the chocolate. Okay, Karen, thank you for the update. I just like all of the chocolate. So there is that. Steve, Buck, amazing show and analysis. Steve, amazing analysis of my amazing show and analysis. Keep up the great work. You spend time and energy on mainstream media, advocates and PR branch, Ministry of Information for the Socialist Communist Democratic Party. True. Your audience or some percentage is uh, is already aware. Um, yep, Steve, I know, but we're trying to do counter narrative building here. That's part of it. You know, it's it's we got to fight back against the lies that are told or else the lies become the only thing that people hear. Stephen, all this talk from Lee and Paul has me wondering when the founders were still running the country and sent the Navy and Marines after the Barbary pirates. Did they wait for a declaration of war or did they use executive power to handle it? This strikes me as very similar. Um, yeah, well, this is this has been a, a a debate that does stretch back to the origins of the Republic. And it's one that will always be with us. You know, what is un, what is in the purview of the commander in chief of the executive branch when it comes to the power to make war? And what does the Congress maintain as its own authority under the uh, under those circumstances? So, yes, indeed. Uh, Eric, um, this is very long, Eric. I got to skip this for now. Derek, not to be confused with Eric. Buck, I took a couple of psychology classes in college, and there has been surveys of women who like men with beards. Most women like two types of men. However, that is dependent on other things. Buck, keep grow, keep growing that beard. She'll die. <laughs> okay, Derek. I don't know. Speaking of of uh, kind bud and uh, relaxing, Maxin and relaxing, I don't really know what we're going for there, Derek, but I, I appreciate it. Uh, here we go. No, that's something else. Roll call. A lot of weird links getting sent to me in roll call today. Jeremy. Oh, you know, roll, I always think of Jeremy, and then I think of Jeremy spoke. Jeremy spoke. In, uh, and it turns out Pearl Jam is going to be on tour soon, for those of you that like Pearl Jam, Eddie Vedder and all that stuff. I've been on a 90s music kick recently, so I've been enjoying that. Jeremy, I'm so sick of celebrities opening their mouths, trying to stay in the limelight. Colin Kaepernick in particular. The only way he's going to get drafted is if there's World War III. Even then, I don't want him on our team. It's also interesting how Pelosi was rushing to get the impeachment vote, but now she's... Stalin. Ah, I see what you did there, Jeremy. Keep up the great work, Shields High. Jeremy's playing word games. Uh, thank you, Jeremy. I appreciate it, man. Uh, let's see. We have more coming in on the roll call. Mark. Hi, Bl- Hi Buck. Uh, I hope this is the correct place for roll call. I put this together. I hope you like it. I don't always need to carry a shield, but when I do, it's Shields High. Buck Sexton. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, man. Got to keep that shield high. So those are bad people do bad, bad things. Um, uh, yeah, somebody wrote in about this, too. Thank you guys for pointing out. I know it does say on Google that I am married. Uh, this has come up a few times in the last year, both personally and professionally. People have been like, wait a second, you're married? I am not married. I have never been married. Um I yes that is so I don't know what that's the way 
I don't know what else to tell you guys other than there are some websites that say that I am married. We're hoping. Producer Mark is rooting for me. He showed me how it's done. He got it done. So he's, you know, he's trying to trying to blaze that trail. And I'm only 10 years older than Mark, so, you know, hopefully I'll get there. Do I have to start running your dating apps now, too? I mean, Producer Mark already is very good at the social media. He'd probably be great at dating apps as well. That's how I met my wife. Really? Yeah, on Tinder. Really? On Tinder? Yeah, on Tinder. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I was shocked, too. Well, congrats. You're like, that's Thank like you. a real success story for the for Tinder. You know, I'm just, I know about this from, that Tinder generally, generally has a reputation yes. for being a little bit more of a naughty app. Yes. You know? I'm not the only, I have heard of other people who have found legit love Well, see, but here's Tinder. the thing about Tinder. It's the biggest yeah. of all the dating apps. And so if you're just looking for volume, which you kind of are in the dating world, right? You want the most options, the most possibility. It makes sense. But I've heard that there's some pretty some pretty wild stuff on Tinder. Oh, yeah. If you go through- I am not, I am not on Tinder. I can tell you. And I've heard there's some pretty wild stuff If you there. go through a female's Tinder app, hundreds- Of stuff of that stuff. people send them yeah. that is- Not necessarily just matches. Oh. Like me. I'm not that good looking. I would get like five- and yet, and yet, this and yet the, 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 the married, the married man took, who's building yeah. a life or whatever figured out Tinder in a exactly. way that, you know, the rest of us haven't yet. So good for you. But that's very cool. I so guess uh, I'm, I'm a statistic. How many, did you, did you, I see now you're already married. So you can tell me something. Did you know on the first date, you're like, this is, um, this, this is going, well, I mean, look, I think it's too much to say, I know I'm going to marry this. People always say that. I feel like you never know. I first date as I person. said to her, I definitely knew I wanted to see more of her. I didn't know the first date that I was going to marry her. I mean, that's, when did you start getting the? When did you start getting the little uh, like when the little voice starts saying maybe this is the one? How many months days in? in? A couple months. I think yeah. that's kind of industry standard. I think it takes two months to get to like really know whether you're really interested. Yes, I definitely knew I I didn't want to like dump her or anything right away. I knew I wanted to see where this went, and then, well, here we are. Where was the first date? <laughs> Actually, a green turtle. What is that? It's a chain like Applebee's type. Oh, we was near uh, where we both went to school, Hofstra. Nice. So, so we just like went and got a local, beer, yeah. Like local, local joint for you guys to go, exactly. go hang out and stuff, whatever. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. You're learning a lot of stuff. Yeah, learning a lot of the things. When did you, when did you have to meet the parents? Uh, that was like four or five months in. Nice. That was awful. You know who else needs to meet the parents? Me. I need to meet Producer Mark's parents because they have no idea who I you am. Already, you did nor, meet them. Nor that I, yeah, I still think they probably don't know who I am. Yeah. Even though We've I'm gone like, over the... it's cool. I met, I met Mark's mom and dad. I went to yeah. the wedding. And I introduced myself, and they're like, who are you? And I was like, look, that's cool. I don't expect yeah. you to know my work. I do spend about four or five hours sure. a day in a room with your son, just the two of us. Though. Did my in-laws knew, know who you were? <laughs> oh, yeah, they yeah. knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they knew. My the wife's family really was on. It. The yeah. wife's family was on, was on the ball. Bruce and Mark's family, his, his mom was like, who are you? Are you a waiter? What are you doing here? I, I like, mean, you were dressed like a waiter. All right. <laughs> you, that's enough of that. Um, but yeah, man. So, you know, the, the Tinder can, can result. Tinder can be a love match. Who yes, knows? it can. Tinder can be a love match. All right. Good, t- good times. Oh, we got uh, more roll call. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right. We're going to do, for roll call now, we're getting into some of the emails. I feel like sometimes I neglect those who send in the emails. I just go right to the Facebook, even though we should spend equal time on both. Um, Lowell writes, hey, Buck, I really love everything you're doing for the first and the podcast. Just a thought. We need a Second Amendment alert for our phones. 
Uh, I signed up for the first email and enjoy the info from the first. Keep up the great app. Keep up the great job. Lowell. Lowell, thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. Tim. This is just titled Roll Call. Very, very effective, Tim. Uh, hey, Buck, have you seen Kurt Russell's very best underrated action classic, Soldier? It's actually a prequel set early in the Blade Runner universe. It's totally awesome. Check it out. Shields high, Tim. I haven't even I haven't even heard of that movie. I didn't even know that was a movie. So I cannot say that I know anything about it. Uh, Maureen writes in the headline here in the email. Remember, teambuck at iheartmedia.com if you want to send us emails. Please do, by the way. Please do send Facebook messages, even if it's a one-liner. We like hearing from you. Even if it's just a you know an email to say, hey, producer Mark is funny, or you know, congrats on his marriage. I'm glad he came back from Jamaica and didn't bail on the hut forever. You know, whatever it is you want to say. You know, it doesn't have to be long. Just send us send us your thoughts. We, we love hearing from you. Oh, Buck, thank you for making me double over with laughter as you describe the heroics of recently retired Diego the Tortoise and his amorous adventures. The vision of him just rolling over in utter exhaustion after finishing feet up in the air is just so funny. Thank you for that and for so much more. You're simply the best, which is why I've sent 13 people to you. They all listen to your podcast now and watch you on Pluto TV. I'll be sending more along the way to Maureen in Newport Beach. Maureen, thank you so much. Great email. And I really appreciate you sending more people to the Freedom Hut. It, may, it makes a huge difference to us. It keeps uh, producer Mark and me employed, which we really appreciate. Because um, the show actually, you know, these shows these days, you need to be growing. If you're not growing, you're dying. So the show needs to be constantly getting bigger. And that means I need you guys to be telling people about it. Uh, as for Diego... I mean, I, I lost it yesterday. I will tell you that I, I, I cracked up a few times even after the show because you, you have to see, you have to read the whole story about Diego and how he saved his species by having a lot of sex um, as a, whatever, he was a grand tortoise or something, whatever they call it. Uh, but the video of him uh, after he has done his business falling over with his little sort of fin-like arms in the air is is really <laughs> it's really amazing you really need to check it out because a lot of guys will watch it and be like yep i've been there uh let's see here um jonathan writes your impersonations are amazing it's what sets you apart from all the other people out there it takes a special kind of intelligence to embody a person or personality through imitation and your impersonation of Hillary Clinton sounds nothing like her, but him embodies her evil, nagging wife persona so well. <laughs> this guy's smart. I like this. One of the main reasons why I don't want to go to hell is because I would be married to Hillary Clinton and have to put up with her horrible voice with her fake Southern accent and her fake Northeastern speech accent and her cottage, uh, cottage industry of corruption, I will say. Um, these politicians need marking... <laughs> On a daily basis, I truly believe that our politicians can be set on the right track. Um, thank you so much. Jonathan, man, thank you. I'm glad you enjoy the impersonations. We'll bring some of them back, especially in the debate season. Um, we'll have that going for sure. Uh, let's see here. William. Hey, Buck. Listening to your podcast recently, you mentioned the issues of public education. Here's a fix that should be contemplated in a ruby red state. Since the public school system is established by state constitution, create a movement to amend the, state, uh, amend the state constitution to devolve the requirement of public schools to the locality of city country. The locality would then decide whether to have a traditional public school system or to have no system and issue tax vouchers or tax deductions for private schools. Um, 
All right, cool. William, I don't know if that will work, but uh, sounds like it might. So I like outside-the-box thinking, especially about the school system. That's our show today. Tomorrow's last for me this week. We'll have uh, Wine Garter in Thursday and Friday. And uh, I'll, I'll probably watch. Maybe I'll live-tweet some of the debate tonight. We'll see. We'll see how I feel. We'll see if I have time to go to Home Depot. I don't know if I have enough time. We will be talking tomorrow, though, friends, in the hut, as we always do. Shields high.